Well, my, my name is David Swart, in case you don't know. Uh, I uh, have the privilege of leading a church in Columbus, Ohio, where the Ohio State is from. College football, anyone? Um, and uh, I, I, I'm fairly passionate about this idea of administration. And, and as I just go through the talk this morning, it's not a, from a church point of view, it's not an actual thing we normally talk about. And uh, it's not something I used to be passionate about. But in my other life, I've, I've had a financial career for 25 years up until six months ago. Uh, my last job at, at Huntington Bank was a CFO of their commercial group. So I've always been in the financial where you've, you've got to be super administrative, super organized and strategic from the, from the CFO side. And, and I felt like this is, well, this is my world here. And then there's church, which is supposed to be all Holy Spirit led. I'm a child of the charismatic movement, right? And I'm like, well, you know, not administration, just whatever the Holy Spirit says, that's what you do. And here, I felt there was such a disconnect. But over the last few years, really trying to figure out as our church continues to grow, how do we steward, we always talk about stewarding money, right? But how do we steward the people that God is entrusting to walk through your front door. How are you helping them come into the community? How are you helping them get settled, find community, find a place, all the wonderful worship and teaching that we're doing and Holy Spirit-led stuff. If they have no connection point into it and don't know how to get into a group or into serving or anything like that, people will very quickly fall off and we lose them, not for lack of any Holy Spirit activity, but just because we haven't thought through how to bring someone into our community who may be very nervous, who may be jaded, who may be hurt, who may be super introverted, and so forth. So I want to think about those sorts of questions with us this morning, uh, this, this afternoon. I'm going to try to go 40 minutes. I, I've done this teaching once in Denver. Um, they gave me two and a half hours. So I've uh, been cutting, 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 so I can just get to the main ideas. And I'm going to leave you with more questions than necessarily answers, but I think questions to help you figure out what administration looks like in your setting, because it's going to look different in Chicago, in Placerville, in Columbus. It's going to look different in Kenya, uh, in Haiti. Every, every environment has a culture that you're working in, and our administration needs to match that to be able to bring people into an experience of that. So let me start with the first question. If God were to add 100 people to your church in the next two months, can you handle it? Can you handle it? Is, is it do you feel like your systems, maybe you're, maybe you're in the size where you're like, yeah, 100 we can do. Let me ask 200 or 50. Can you handle it? Not just the excitement of, wow, here comes all these people in. But do, is there a way, is there a path for each person to come in? Is it clear for that visitor, for that skeptic, for that hurt from, by the church person, for that super introvert? Is there a path for them? Is it clear for them to be able to, how can they on-ramp into your church community? And I feel like uh, I always said, well, we're praying for revival and hopefully you're all praying for revival and you're figuring out ways that you can reach your community. But if people actually came, <laughs> are you going to be able to steward all these people have come, that have come through your, through your doors? Are you going to be able to help them if they're, let's say they're 100 new believers, how are we going to help them get to know the foundations of the faith? Is there a plan for it? Is there, have, you, have we thought through what that actually looks like if the thing that we're praying for actually happens 
Or are we thinking, well, there's a few really extroverted people in our church and they'll connect with them. Anyone have extroverted people in your church? Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a few. We have an Alyssa. I mean, if, if, if Alyssa is, meets them, they'll get connected. But that's one girl. You know, we have a few more of those. But if 100 people came in, we're going to lose people, not for anything we've done wrong, other than it's very difficult for a person to enter into a new community where there's already groups, there's already relationships, there's already cliques and so forth. How are we thinking about helping that person come into our community and, um, and find a way? So what I want to do today is talk a little bit about this need for administration. I want to show you just briefly, I had like four examples. I'm cutting it down to one today from Scripture, how I think Scripture has a very good argument for the need for administration in our church. And then I'm going to get super practical with how we can think through the whole process of administration uh, from a systems point of view and just a process point of view in your church. Does that sound good? Feel free to interrupt me as we go along. Um, I'm going to skip. The one one thing I was thinking about uh, was talking about how Jesus fed the 5,000, right? You're like, well, you know, that was a super miracle. Absolutely, it was a miracle. But what Jesus did is he told people to sit in groups of 50, little bit of administration there. And it says that once this happened, they were all fed and satisfied. And I want the 100 people, the 200 people, the visitors coming into our community to find a home where they can be fed and satisfied, where they can find a life group, where they can find a serving area. That the thing of the, the, the miracle to me, other than the fact that the fish and the, and the bread was multiplied, is how Jesus broke them into 50s. If you think there were 5,000 men, assuming there, is, there were 15 to 20,000 people, right? Anyone watch uh, hockey, ice hockey? Most of our stadiums are 20,000. Imagine 20,000 people saying, go, feed yourself. What chaos there would be, right? And, and, and in a super organized hockey stadium, it's chaos. <laughs> anyway, imagine that you're sitting on a hill and all of a sudden, oh, go feed yourself, you know. The, the organization helped the thing that God wanted to do to actually be effective and everyone to get fed and satisfied. So I think that's important. So I'll skip over that one. Here's, here's one I want to go to. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. This is a story of Moses who was judging the people and he was the guy, uh, everyone came to him. Verse 13, the next day Moses sat uh, to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all these people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, because the people came to me to inquire of God. So when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make known the statutes of, uh, statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people, you, uh, you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you and you are not able to do it alone. What Jethro then goes on to explain to him is how Moses can administrate the task that God has given him. And he gives them some really clear instructions of how to administrate the task that's before him. Uh, leadership, uh, leadership gurus call it the Jethro principle. So in, even in the business world, they, they talk sometimes about the Jethro principle. And it's kind of three ideas. He's told them to train people. 
Give them the tools, the vision, the know-how, the reason to train your people when you put them over responsibilities and areas in your, uh, in your church. Secondly, to appoint honest and trustworthy leaders. That's the second thing Jethro told them to do. So give them appropriate authority, empower them, equip them, and allow them to do what you've trained them to do. And the third thing, it was, he said, and handle the very difficult cases yourself. So there was a parameter given of how to administrate the thing that God had told Moses to do. And it couldn't be done all through Moses. It had to be done through a group of leaders who are well-trained, have clear responsibilities, have clear authority to go with those responsibilities. And if we put all of that stuff in place, the people will not be exhausted at the end of the day. Now, you're like, uh, let, me, let me read some more verses. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses explains to them what actually happened. And he says here in verse 12, How can I bear the burden myself? The, uh, how can I bear my, uh, by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Verse 15. So here he explains what he did. So he took the heads of the tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you. Commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers. Look at the details that he's given them, right? Um, Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man, his brother, or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's, and the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me. So what did, what did Moses do here? He appointed people over responsibilities according to their gifting and their abilities. There were people who were able to handle a thousand people, people able to handle a hundred people, able to handle fifties and tens and then offices. And we can read over this verse real quick, but, but let me tell you, I've, I've been in an executive environment for, for many years. When you say you're over a thousand people, it doesn't mean from a hierarchy point of view, there's one guy and a thousand people under him. There's one guy with some people under him who have hundreds under them. And there was a hierarchy being built. And I know if you're from the charismatic movement, hierarchy sounds like a curse word, right? Hierarchy is not the problem. Hierarchical thinking is the problem. When we start equating our value with our position, that's the problem. But what, when, when we need hierarchy, we need structure to be able to handle if God was going to give your church a thousand people, right? He may. He may give your church a church of 50 people in it. Nowhere in scripture is the one guy better or worse than the other guy. But what has God given you? Let's administrate it effectively and well so that the thing that God wants to do in your group, in your setting can be done well. Uh, make sense? Yes. Um, so uh, with, with the same thing is giving the clear instructions. Now, this is the part where sometimes I, I can go too fast in my thinking. I'm like, let's do this, let's do this, put this guy there, 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 move on. And then I get frustrated that the thing I was expecting to happen isn't happening like I expected it to happen. And then I blame the people. Anyone ever done that? The problem isn't the people. The problem is I gave zero clarity on what it is that we're trying to do, why it is that we're trying to do it, and how it is that they can do those things. Okay? So uh, 
I, I, I've been living in America for 21 years, so I, do I still sound a little bit South African? Yep, yes. Okay, I feel, like I feel like I sound 100% American, right? Uh, <laughs> South African culture is a military culture. We used to have the draft, and everyone went to, to army until like 25 years ago. And so when I left, it, it, the, the culture still feels like there. You can just give instructions in South Africa. I've lived in America 21 years. I've tried to just give instructions and people are like, huh, yeah, why? Why do you want me to do this? And I've had to understand, and there's so much value for me as a leader to take the time to articulate why I want something done so that it doesn't just become like, hey, Logan, do this. Do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, yeah, boss, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. There's no heart that comes with that. But when I can explain, man, when a visitor comes into our front door, you've got to think of a few things. Your visitor could literally be, this could be the last stop. And we've had this. People are like, I'm, I'm done with faith. I'm done with my life. I'm done with everything going on. But I walk past, I'm going to give this one more go. Imagine that person walking in the door. They're walking through the front door from the parking lot. There they come. They're like, hyperventilating. This is not, this is not a theory. I mean, a hypothetical situation. This happens. People are in the parking lot. Am I actually going to do this? Yes, I'm going to do this. I know no one in this church, but I saw the building. This is the last thing I'm going to try. And they're going from your parking lot. They don't know where to go. So now they're walking down the street. or walk down, we're, we're in the city. Our parking lot is a bit removed. I've got to clearly show them how to get there because God wants to minister to those people, right? And so she walks, he, she walks into the front door. Nobody greets her. Nobody greets him. She's like, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to go in. She goes in through our lobby. We try to push everyone through our lobby so that we can have our greeters and our you know, guest services. Just love on these people. But let's say they didn't get it right. And they walk in and they go sit in. And they're sitting in the auditorium 10 minutes early because our visitors are always early and our members are always late. That's my turn. Here she sits. This is the last thing. She is depressed. She's overwhelmed with her life. She's sitting there all alone. Nobody is talking to her. Now, I wish I could give everybody that picture on our guest services team because if you have that picture in mind, now you're understanding why we put someone in the parking lot, why we put someone at the front door, why we put someone at the information table, why we serve great coffee, not mediocre coffee, falters, anyone? Don't do it. Uh, why we have someone in our auditorium, we have five positions in our guest services area where we're explaining to them that person may be, this may be the last thing they try before they make other dramatic decisions for their life. We want that person to be loved from the car park to the front door, to the lobby, to the auditorium, so that when the worship starts, notice I haven't talked at all about changing your worship or your message. Because that's not the topic today. And I don't think we should, that shouldn't be the topic. We should continue to worship God and preach the word. Let's continue to do that. But there are so many practical administrative things that you and I can do to make that guest have an experience so that they can get to this Jesus we're trying to introduce them to. Amen? So think think of all of your positions in your church and think through... What does it look like for the visitor? Name the visitors. Name the family member with five kids, right? Who, when they visit, when Kathy, before Kathy and I started the church, we for six months were looking for a church. We didn't feel like God told us to start a church, so we were looking for one. 
When I visited a church every two weeks, we gave every church two weeks, right? Two tries. Um, when I visit a church every time, I don't care about anything that you have to offer until I know my kids are in a good spot. Because I'm a dad with four kids, right? So as a visitor going into that, I don't even care what you worship right now. I did my research online, so if we're kind of in the same ballpark, I want to go in and make sure that I know where my kids are going to go. I want to look someone in my eyes, just get this feel that these are trustworthy kids ministry directors uh, or kids ministry volunteers. And now I'm literally giving you my prized possession, right? That's what your visitors think. That's what your visitors think. Now, if you're a visitor, we walked into a few churches where we're literally walking up and down the aisles trying to find like where the front door is. Oh, there's a side door. We found a side door. Remember Zion? We found a, a side door and there was nobody there. And we're walking down like, oh, here's the office. Oh, here's this. And I'm like, I'm trying, I'm literally trying to find the church where I'm going to be a tithing member, you know, and, and like bring my family and all of our gifts and everything. And, and it took us 10 minutes to find out where to take our kids. Not a great first experience. Anyone? Like anywhere else you're going to go outside of the church, you're not going back, right? It's just practical, administrative things that you and I can do. I think there's like motion sensor, right? Yeah. To make the experience for your visitors easy. I've, I've gone over my notes. Uh, I've, I'm all over the place, but hopefully we can go together. Okay. In the corporate world... We settled, it seemed to, the corporate world seemed to settle on the fact that you cannot effectively manage more than six to ten people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in, in corporate world, it calls direct reports. Anyone? You know. If you have more, when, when I had more than ten direct reports, I was neglecting all of them. Yeah. So there's a structure in your teams that you need to think about. Can you effectively manage? Let's say you're over kids' ministry, and our kids' ministry right now has. 45 or 50 volunteers in it. But what Alyssa did, Alyssa manages our kids' ministry. She's like, I, I, can't, I can't manage 50 people. So she's created team leads. So every week there's a team leader for kids' ministry. So she pours her time into the team leaders, and the team leaders pour their time into the seven people who serve on kids' ministry every morning. That way, it's, again, it's a bit of a hierarchy. But, but just think of the experience of you standing in front of 50 people and making 50 volunteers feel appreciated, seen, clarity on what your role is going to be today. There's no ways that I can possibly explain that to everybody and motivate and keep people going uh, that way. So that's where the, the administration comes in just a little bit. Um, I made this note. All too often in the church, we think systems are carnal and the spirit and freedom is holy. But these things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, God gives a river, river beds. And so without the river beds, let's call that administration, you have a swamp. Right. So that water is not going to feed anybody because the administration of where they're going is not going to help the intended recipient of where it's going. God gives a wine skin for the new wine. We've been talking a lot about that this, this week. There's an actual wine skin to hold the wine that God wants to pour out. And we're talking about, well, we've got to think about the wine and the wine skin and all that kind of stuff. Our administration, I'm so glad you guys are here. I thought, am I going to be the only nerd who cares about administration? So I, I, our administration is there to help facilitate the thing that God wants to do. Not control it, not like, say, if administration's great, then people are going to get saved. But if your administration's great, people are going to get a chance 
to hear the message. They're going to have a chance to get into community where their lives can be transformed. But without knowing how to join a life group, they're never going to join your life group. Right? If they have to walk around your church looking for someone who looks like a life group leader, you guys call them life groups or small groups, connect groups? Yes. Small groups. Okay. If, if, if there's not clarity for your guest or your second or third or fifth time visitor, it's not clarity for them of how do they join a small group, they're not going to join it. And then you're going to wonder, why aren't my people connecting? <laughs> you know? Simply, it's not clear on your website. It's not clear in your lobby. It's not clear in your literature. How do I join a group? They're not going to drive around your neighborhood looking for a life group. Okay, I, I, I won't. And uh, uh, how to administrate a church in First World USA is going to look very different to how we administrate a church in Haiti. Right? Kathy and I went to Haiti. I went in uh, late January this year. And we went to check out a new area where they wanted to start a new feeding program and a church. Talked to people. We were outside in the hot sun. There was kind of like a piece of wood here. We talked to a few people who seemed to be the community leaders. Said we're going to bring a feeding program there and we'd love to start a Bible study. Great. That's how it started. Six weeks later, Kathy is there with, with someone else from our church. They started a church in six weeks under a shade with some sticks. It's going to look very different in Haiti than it's going to look like in Chicago, right? Or in uh, Wayside. Uh, what, what do you call the area? Casseville. What, what's yours? Cameron Park. Cameron Park. Love it. Uh, it's going to look so good. But um, the fact remains, in our first world culture, there is a size of church, typically 200, that all the church growth people, all that they say something happens in your administration and how you lead There has to be a shift for your church to go over 200. I don't know why. I don't know why it's some sort of magic number. I think it's got something to do with our capacities and a group size, the expectations with people coming in. There has to be a change in how we administrate a church. The bigger it goes, you have to adjust. We, we, uh, our church is seven years old now. For the first five years, we, we grew at a pretty rapid pace. But by year four, we started getting to 200. Then by year five, we were at 100. Then by year five and a half, we were at 150. Then we got to 200. Then we went to 150. Then we, we kept every time 200 hits. Part of it was I, I was working full time. So we had just a, not enough staff and people to actually help do things. But we started thinking, okay, let's look at every single one of our communication methods of our administration, of how people uh, find our church online, how they find our church in the neighborhood, how they walk. I was trying to explain to you the, 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 the woman walking in for the first time, her experience going through every stage of our church. We started looking at each one of those things. And lo and behold, it had an almost immediate impact on our ability to grow. And we very quickly, you know, are well over 200 at this point. Uh, and it, it's just like, I did nothing. No change in how I preach. No change in how we invite the Holy Spirit into things. There was just a change in how we're administrating the things that God has already, already given us. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Super practical. We use Planning Center. Anyone ever hear, heard of Planning Center? We used to use CCB. Uh, hated it. So we moved to Planning Center about a year ago. I find it super helpful. It scales incredibly well with whatever your church size is. So if you're really small, it's really cheap. 
but you, you begin with a base system to be able to administrate people's names coming in. And then from there, you can start groups. You can start registration for events. You could do your, your life groups through it. You can do your serving teams through it. We do our giving through it. And we also do our services through it. And when I say service, we, we create online in Planning Center a rough outline of what our Sunday morning service is going to look like. Or if we have a worship night, what our worship night is going to look like with music, where we want to have things in. We do a plan, and then we hold it loosely before the Lord. Any charismatics in case you were getting nervous as I was talking about this. We create a plan. We, we, we try to think it through because you roughly know what your Sunday mornings look like. And then you hold it loosely. Right? But it helps so many people be on the same page with how we do things. Uh, for our financial systems, we use QuickBooks online. Uh, we've done QuickBooks, the, the actual version. The online version has been really great when you have uh, people who are serving in your financial area and they're not in your office and they're doing it from home. QuickBooks Online has been amazing. It is incredibly scalable. Um, funnily enough, uh, when I was uh, the CFO of our group, we spoke to one of our clients. If I said the name, you would all know because I just had their hamburger. Uh, they were still using a version of QuickBooks. <laughs> It's Wendy's. <laughs> so it's incredibly scalable. Uh, you know, so for churches, I, I think it's amazing. For our email, we use MailChimp. We try to use CCB. We try to use Planning Center. MailChimp seems to be really good for uh, doing mass emails and making it look nice and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for our streaming, we do YouTube um, for live streaming and Church Online. Church Online is Life Church. They put a free version out there that you can incorporate into your website. Just wanted to give some tools. Um, and then we use a system called Text in Church. Text in Church, where, we, where if we need to notify people urgently, um, like it's snowing and we have to cancel service, you know, and it's five o'clock on a Tuesday night before, you know, that we can do a big text in church blast and everyone gets a text uh, that something's happening because not everyone checks their email uh, or, or so forth. Um, so... There you go, some systems. Any questions about actual systems like that or tools um, that you guys want to ask? Jess, with a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Should I come back to you? <laughs> um, we, uh, we currently do directly to YouTube. Yeah, so to live stream directly to YouTube, you have to have over 100 subscribers. So we had to work hard to get everyone to subscribe so that you have to, for some reason, they don't let you do live stream directly um, under 100 subscribers. Uh, so we do that, but then we also embed the YouTube into the church online where you could uh, chat with people who may be uh, doing online streaming. With church online, Uh, yeah, I think we use Black, uh, Black Magic right now to do it, uh, but I'm getting above my skis. Uh, Pete, our worship guys, ahead of my skis or above them. Um, Pete, our worship guy, knows all the technical details. You can email me by any, by any means and I'll, I can help you with more details with that. Anything else? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it is, it is our next position that we want to create. So we, we've had to, you know, with COVID, right? We, we never stopped 
uh, streaming, so we continue to do live streaming. We're getting better with live mixing of worship. It seems to be very difficult to get it really good. Typically what we do is we stream the whole service and on a Tuesday morning we go into YouTube and we cut it to just the message, right? But we do want to get a better uh, experience with live streaming. So our, our, as soon as we have our next room finished with our construction project, we're going to have a computer in there with someone monitoring uh, our, our, we'll go to Facebook Live and you, uh, Church Online Live for some moderating. Yes. Yes. It's got to be different. Yes, it's got it. Uh, no, we don't manage right now. So we every week we go back and we're like, okay, this needs to be adjusted a little bit here, a little bit there. So we've, we're getting it better. It's 100% better than it was six months ago. And that was 100% better than there. Our, our second next role that we want a, a person for is to actually do live uh, mixing for the live stream. Um, I want to go back. I did jump a little bit. I want to go back again to, to ask these questions, ask you to think through these questions from an administration point of view, is to really think about the different types of visitors. And this is a great whiteboard session uh, with, with, with you guys. If, if any of you, is anyone here leading a church right now on eldership team? Okay. A couple, anyone leading guest services teams right now or hospitality that kids ministry leaders yeah I, I, I feel like one of the first places to start at least from a from a eldership point of view is to make sure there's clarity about who leads your guest services we call it guest services uh, you may call it hospitality or set up or tear down or whatever we call it guest services who leads that who leads your kids ministry who leads your um, worship audio sound all of that kind of stuff and uh, who leads just the, the big look at the, your life group ministry. Who are the, what are the big areas in your church? Is there clarity about who leads those things? I'm of the opinion, you heard it this morning, Steve Barr said, elders are, need to oversee the governing of the church. Now, I used to have 100 people reporting to me in the bank. There is no possible way I know everything that those 100 people did. But I had good structures in place, I had good leaders in place, where I have an oversight of what was happening, but I'm not micromanaging every single person's role, right? But if, from an eldership point of view, if we know who we've appointed as deacons or, or team leaders, whatever, however you, you, you phrase that, give them, uh, have touch points with them to be able to know what's going on in kids' ministry, what's going on in guest services, give clarity of what your expectations are, so that they are clear with what's the goal here, you know? And it, it takes a little bit of time to really think through that from, a, from an eldership and an oversight point of view. What, what are you actually trying to create? Write it down, talk it through with that person, have a good discussion about it, so that there's a good vision session at a leadership level in each of these areas. And then ask that person to go with their teams or with someone who is administratively minded or gifted but you know, administration is as much a gift as prophecy and words of knowledge and the gift of interpretation of tongues. Administration is a gift from the Lord. And I'm so glad you guys are here. You are a gift to your church to be able to help your church run better. But begin to ask these questions. The person who's going to visit your church on a Sunday morning, trust me, they've checked your website out. They've gone to your website and they've likely listened to some of your messages. So put on your hat of 
First-time visitors, I know nothing about Westside Church. Okay, assume I know nothing. I'm going to go in website. What's the first thing I see? That's the first impression you have of your church, right? And then, okay, uh, what are they about? Is there a way to kind of figure out the main things that they're about? Is your navigation and your website clear? Think through all of those things. Okay, I like enough what I saw. I want to visit have a button, have a place for that person to plan their visit. If Disney does this, if Columbus Zoo does it, if any of the places that want to make it easy for guests, if they think through that, why don't we put a little bit of effort in to think through, someone wants to visit my church. I want them, I want them to feel like, unless you're bringing them with you and you're hand-holding them through the whole process, that's the best way, right? Bring your friends and you, you walk them through the, the process. But if it's someone, you know, everyone's shopping for a church, uh, if they're moving into your area or they're going through a faith crisis or a life crisis and they're looking for a place to find answers, can they find out where to park, where your meetings are, what time your meetings are, and funnily enough, address. I, I realized a few months ago, it was hard to find our address on our on our website. I'm like, let's put it in five places, you know, so we can have it all there. Then plan your visit. If you have kids, think through the person who has kids. What is their experience going to look like? If they go into the front door, is there clarity for them to know where to check their kids in, right? And then is there a good system for them to check their kids in? I don't think, unless you live in a fairly rural place where everybody knows everybody, I don't think we can get away with kids check-in systems without some level of security background checks on your people who are volunteering in your kids' ministry area. So a lot of things for you to think through, but whiteboarding, walking from here to here, going through your website, is this clear? Is that clear? Walking into your front lobby, is this clear? Where's the coffee? Where's the bathrooms? You know, even then as we think through from our leading our meetings, the people who are welcoming, we call it the MC of the of the service. You can call it leading meeting or whatever. There's a place in our service where we stop for a second, usually after worship, after we've done some giving or some whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in that morning or there's a contribution, we stop and we acknowledge the guests. If you are a guest with us, I want you to know how welcome you are. We're so happy you're here. What we do is we have a gift for you. We've got a mug. We've got a contact card in there. And every contact card you give back, we're going to give $5 to Dream Center down the road because we want to get your information so that we can help you assimilate into our church community. That's how we communicate with people. Not give me your contact information so I can put you on my mailing list. Right? If I get your contact information, I can help you figure out how to serve in our church, how to find a life group, how to find a place where you can belong and really get into the community. And usually that, those, that kind of language, and it's got to be sincere, right? That kind of language has helped uh, people translate into actually filling out the card and giving it to us. And so, so we've walked through that. So think through all of that. Again, I'm not talking about changing your music or your preaching or anything. I'm just saying make it clear for your visitors to onboard. Very good. Um, I, I think I was going to say that, but let's talk about that for a minute. How do you, yeah, here's right, right here. How do you get your guests' information? To me, this is one of the most important things if you don't know that person. Like, Logan, if you're bringing a buddy, 
we'll figure out the contact information later, right? You can, you can get that. But if it's your guest coming into our area, Columbus is just growing like weeds. So we have between five and 10 first-time visitors every single Sunday. So we think through how do we get their information? So we have gone through the whole process. We have at the front door, there's someone at the information table. We, we placed it right near the front door so that we can see them. We have our, our gifts clearly marked out there. We have a sign saying welcome with a QR code. They can QR to put a, find a place for their contact information or they can fill out a card. Then when they go into the auditorium, in, in our chairs, in front of every chair or on the chair, there's another contact card. Because people often want to give you the information, they just forget, right? Um, so we, we put that there as well. And then when we're visited, when we're introducing, uh, when, the, when the MC is welcoming our guests, we will also say, if you are visiting with us, there's a card in front of you. We would also like to give you a gift. Or here on the screen is a QR code. Either way, we're giving them so many options to be able to capture the contact information. We started three weeks ago with putting a sticker on the contact card saying we'll give $5 to the Dream Center, which is a, a local ministry. It almost immediately picked up the number of people filling in cards. So five bucks, it's not much. We were gonna give to Dream Center anyway, so it's a win-win, you know, a way to get uh, their information. Kath, did I miss anything else? So, so then we've thought through the process of, okay, now we get this information. Uh, at, the, at the moment, on average, we get uh, 40 to 60 uh, people fill out contact cards, either online or through a card per month uh, that we've been doing. So we have thought through, okay, what do we do with this? Because statistics say uh, if, if someone visits your church only or, or the first time, there's about a – where did I – I wrote this stat down here somewhere. Um, it's something like a 50% chance that they will come back. Uh, here it is. Retention rate of a first-time guest at church is 34%. If they've come back a second time, there's a 50% chance they'll be, become a part of your church. If they come back a third time, it's a 78% chance that they, will, that they will become a member of your church. Now, I want you to get too caught up on that. For me, all I'm saying is I'm going to do everything I can to get someone's information show them a welcoming area, uh, friendly faces, and then the, the day after they come to church, we're going to email them. Uh, a week after, we're going to text them. The third week, we're going to email them again. So that's kind of three touch points that we have. In the first week, one of our pastoral staff or uh, elders will give them a quick phone call. And usually, you know, right now, I, I do a lot of the guys who, <laughs> listen, does the girls. Um, it's like 50% of who pick up, picks up the phone, right? Because I don't pick up the phone if I don't recognize the number. So if, if, I, if, if I get a voicemail, I'm just like, hey, this is David from 614 Church. Just wanted to welcome you. If there's any questions you had about the church. And in three weeks or four weeks, we have a DNA class where you could come after church, get free lunch, and learn more about what our church is about. So we give them something that is a next step to, to help them come back into our church. Is this, is this too much? No. Okay. Just try, we're, we're learning. We're, we're, we're learning a lot. I think in the last um, six months, something has just clicked at our church. We've had 350 visitor cards 
handed in in just the last six months. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with all of this. It's, it's amazing, but it's tested every single one of our processes. How people find a group, it's tested that. How people find uh, counseling services, like I don't have a good list of, or a good group of people who are ready to do marriage classes or, or counseling. So we're just scrambling to get all this information because God is giving us these people and are we stewarding what he's given us? You know, and so that's why we keep asking ourselves these questions. Um, I talked to you a little bit about the follow-up. Uh, I know this can get really overwhelming. Uh, okay, I think I talked about all this. I guess I've been all over my notes as we go. Here's a question to ask yourself. Is there a clear on-ramp for someone to join a team? What, what we call teams are a worship, setup, guest services, kids ministry, even ministry team. We, we always have ministry after church, so we have a team there. Is it clear for someone how they can join your worship team? Or is it, well, you know, Bob leads the worship team, so go talk to Bob afterwards. They're like, I don't know who Bob is, and I'm nervous. I don't want to go talk to Bob. I don't know Bob. Is there clarity of how someone can join guest services? How do they do it? You know, how can I join it? Your website's got to be crystal clear with that sort of thing. For us, we do a DNA class every six weeks where um, we do lunch after church. At, and for an hour, Kathy and I give an overview of the, the vision, the values of our church, how they can get involved, and some of the important things of what it looks like to be part of our community. Where we point them to serving, we point them to a life group, and we point them to giving. Because when you start giving, tithing in your, in your church, our church grows. Our, you, you know, when you're invested, you know, your heart is yeah. where your treasure is. Yeah. And so we want people to get invested with us so they can find that community. So that uh, DNA has been very helpful for us as well, where we point people to, okay, if you like this church, if you feel this is where God has you, click on this button and then the guest service leader will be notified and they will reach out to you. Click on this button for worship. The worship leader will be notified. Planning Center does all of this. And they will contact you and talk to you about an addition for worship. You want to be in ministry team? Well, we're going to ask you to be part of our church for six months first before you, we unleash you on, uh, on our people. But it's clear. I'm making it clear. Not like, oh, I wonder how I can join the ministry team. You know, just be clear. Brene Brown says it's kind to be clear. Yeah. Clear. Clear. Did I say that right? Right way around. Yeah. Um, is there a clear on-ramp for someone to join a team? Is there a clear training for new members? Uh, Ryan and Lauren uh, are from our church. So hopefully I'm not saying anything that you're like, oh, what you <laughs> uh, But we've been continuing, as I said, with all this growth that we've had lately, we, we, are, we were thinking through our guest services process, right? I was watching a Sunday morning where, let's say Ryan, just joined the guest services team and he shows up eight o'clock, you know, for our nine o'clock service and he's being trained while they're doing everything and he's having this experience where, gosh, there's so much going on, I don't know what I'm doing. And so we thought, we've got to create a better experience for someone to onboard into the guest services team. So we now do an orientation Sunday where for uh, 45 minutes after a service, Anyone who wants to be part of guest services will walk you through everything we do in our five positions on guest services. There's no pressure. There's not setting it up for the service. We're like walking them through. We're sharing heart. We're sharing vision. We're sharing values. And that has helped us to be able to 
um, help new members on board with confidence so that the next Sunday or the Sunday after when they're scheduled, they go in there with some level of confidence before that game day. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I, I think I've got through the crux of what I wanted to say. I wanted to definitely leave the next 12, 15 minutes for questions. Any, anything I can answer? Good. Great question. Um, when we switch over to Planning Center, uh, we did something else with CCB, and I forget what it was. I didn't like it for, 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 two, reason, for two reasons. I thought their monthly fees was too high, you know, on trans transaction fees. And since I was in banking, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Right? that's too high. <laughs> so through Planning Center, it was, it, it's the one that's integrated with Planning Center. Why I like it so much, their fees were slightly less for a credit card giving. But you can give someone an option to cover their fees. So if I'm going to give 100 bucks, I'll cover the $2.70 fees. And half of our people click it. And that, that clicking has paid for the entire planning center, planning center every month. Just the saving through people covering their own fees. So how do we go through giving? One, in our DNA, we talk about the value of it. Right, the heart behind giving. I, I, don't, I do not apologize for saying, if you're gonna be a part of this church, I encourage you to give and invest in this place because it's good for you. It's good for you. So uh, uh, there's a theological reasoning behind encouraging people to get involved giving because it does something to you. You know, God doesn't need your money. The church runs on the giving that you give. You know, so I, we've gotta be, be clear with that. Every Sunday, I would say, Four out of five Sundays, we will have some, one of our leaders, one of our guest services leaders or our life group leaders come and do a three, two or three minute encouragement about giving, right? Something where they're reading uh, a verse that means something in, to them about giving or sharing an experience where, man, I trusted the Lord for this and it, it just never happened and, and I gave and God made me there and there's a personal testimony with it. And then once that is done, either it's the MC who will do a little quick talk on it or will be one of our, our servant leaders. Um, we will then explain to people there are three ways you can give. We put a screen on, on, on behind the, the person. There's a QR code that takes you to our uh, 614church.org forward slash give. There's a QR code that takes you there. We tell them there's a box in the back where you can give cash or you can go to our app. Planning Center has an actual app. And there's a giving button on there where you can then set up your recurring giving as well. Um, so th those, those things are currently in place. And then probably every four to six months, I'll remind the church that we have an open book policy. If you've ever got any questions about how we administrate our church's finances or what we do, happy to take questions. You know, even show you what's going on. So I try to be as transparent with our finances as well. Does that answer your question? It, it does. I have a lot more questions about finances, but I don't think we have okay. time. So. Okay. So. I got a question, and uh, just on that same issue, uh, more contributions. And so, with Planning Center, we, well, let's put it this way, we have four or five different ways people give. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes they, uh, our website it collects their address. Okay. At the end of the year, we have to send them a statement yeah. or email a statement. Yes. In Planning Center. Right now, the way someone else has set it up to give me information, it doesn't collect their address. 
Okay. I sent so, an email and I could email them, but if someone gives a check and cash, yeah. and I'm just emailing in planning center, that's not good. How do you do that? Yeah. Or is so there a way? We, we, use, um, we have QuickBooks as our book of records, right? That's our, our accounting system. But we don't, we stop recording individual givers in QuickBooks. We're using Planning Center as our giving book of records. So Ron gives a check, someone, our bookkeeper goes and types into Planning Center, Ron gave a check of 100 bucks, right? And all I need is your email. Okay, then, well then you collected my address or whatever through my check, whatever. But if someone just gives them Planning Center, you don't have their address. You don't need their address, you only need their email. Well what if, okay, what if they give a check and then they're doing planning center. Uh, you know, it, you, all you, the checks get logged into planning center. Yeah, you record, you go into planning center and you log that. Ron, Ron did a hundred bucks recurring giving every week. So that goes through planning center, but he just got a bonus and now he's gonna give another hundred buck check. And so our bookkeeper goes and adds so that to planning here, center. Then you enter it over there. Yes, but, but our, our giving right now, I wanna say, I don't want to lie. I, I want to say 90% of our giving is through Planning Center. And we get less than 10% physical box, yeah. check, or cash. We have online, we have text, and I'm trying to get Caleb to yeah. consolidate yes. it, but yeah. we're not there. So I've got hundreds of I've got six sources. Yeah. Cash, check, online, text, Planning Center, and there's another one. Yeah. So, so cash and check, you can just record. You've got to record it in somewhere anyway. Exactly. So go record that into Planning Center. Uh, if someone gives through text, you should create a system or a process where that gets put into Planning Center. And if they give through Planning Center, it's already there. You have to have one set of records. You have to. So tell Caleb, tell Caleb, I'll, uh, I'll have words with him. <laughs> no, you have to. I mean, financial stuff. Guys, we have to be above board with yeah. everything. Your QuickBooks bank statements have to reconcile to the penny every single month. With, if you, without that little step, I've been in fraud cases before where we were off by seven cents, investigated and found thousands of dollars of fraud. Your, 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 your bank statement has to reconcile every single month. And I would say the same, it goes for your, your giving. Uh, with your planning center, the great thing is you don't have to mail anybody anything. You push a button and it generates the giving statement. You can tell it to go every three months or six months or once a year. And someone goes in themselves to get their giving statement. I love planning center so for I that. Take all the other sources and get it in the planning Yes. Center. Yes. Yes. I'm just going to ask about calendaring for the year. How's it, what's that look like for you? It's a, it's a great question. Um, typically what we've done, uh, your name? Uh, typically what we've done is uh, in the beginning of the year we've gone away with elders and staff and really thought through the big things that we want to put in. But I'll work with our administrator beforehand and put a calendar out of kind of the big, the big things or the, the weekly recurring things so we can kind of all see it. We're about to go through a big, big, big change where Currently, we're doing life groups. Uh, our small groups is, is called life groups. We do, we meet every two weeks. We're gonna go to uh, 10, you guys don't even know this yet, I haven't announced this yet. Um, we're gonna go through 10 week blocks of life groups, and then a break, and then another 10 week block, and then a break. So now what that means is I have to change everything else. 
like how frequently we do worship nights, how frequently we do team nights. Uh, we do team nights where all of our servant leaders come together and we worship together, we invest into our, our servant leaders. Uh, so I've got to think through all of that because I don't want to have more than one thing outside of a Sunday per week. I, I want to have more, but people won't go to more than one thing typically. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So our blocks are going to be the life group blocks. And then we're putting in their uh, team nights where we do leaders training and kind of volunteer appreciation. And then worship nights. And now I'm thinking through prayer, prayer meetings. I think we may, we may do something radically different. So we're quite excited. Uh, do you want to go first? Okay, we're starting mid-September okay. through the week before Thanksgiving. Yes. Then from uh, Thanksgiving to second week in January, we have a break. Then we mid-January for 10 weeks, uh-huh. two-week break. And then uh, I think it's like April through early June, then off the whole summer. Uh, are they still every Are they still, still every, every week? Every, every week, week for 10 weeks, yes. Wow. Okay. yes. It's, there's a... There's a book I really like that just explained this so well. It's called Sticky Church by Larry Osborne. Um, absolutely. It answered every single question I've had about life groups, about how to multiply them, how to train leaders, how to equip leaders. I, I'm loving it. Now, I, I haven't tri- we haven't rolled it out, so don't take my word for it. The book the books is, does its own. But I have a number of uh, pastor friends around the country who've done it. And I've said it's it it's really really been good for them. So, you had a question? No, that's good. Sure. That was Same question. Okay. Um, where are we? We are at fifty. We still have seven minutes. <laughs> Any more questions? You want to go around the team nights? Oh yeah. Yeah. I I tell you we 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 started doing team nights about nine months ago it's probably one of my favorite things because I've always struggled how do we do leaders training you know just general leaders training open to the church and then some people come and they don't and they have, don't have a clear vision of what we're doing and that so um, we started doing team nights and here's my thinking if you're a core member of our church you're probably serving in the church and if you're not serving in the church I love you but you're not really the kind of person I'm going to want to train for leadership quite just yet. I want you to get into being part of the fabric of the church, right? Um, so the language we now use for team nights is if you're a servant leader, all about, we don't use the word volunteers, we use servant leader. Um, partly because I feel like, you know, even at Huntington where I work, you can go and volunteer and everyone just does their duty. Um, we, we use the word servant leader because you're, you're leading. You, you are leading, whether you're pouring coffee, whether you're, you're greeting at the front door. And we serve like Jesus did. He was the servant. He redefined leadership, right, <laughs> through serving. So we invite servant leaders to a team night where we'll do, um, it was every two months we did it. I've got to rethink it all now with our new group. But every two months I would do servant leaders. And then in the middle, every two months, I would do life group leaders. So every month, someone's being trained and, and gathered on something. So for servant leaders, we would get together 
um, around Christmas time, we would do a big Christmas party. It's just fun, exciting parties. It's the most fun ever, right? But at other times, we'll worship together. Um, the last one we did, we brought Mark Bailey and his family in, and Mark uh, poured into our servant leaders. So it wasn't like a big Ephesians 4 weekend. It was bringing Mark in for a Tuesday night, and his calendar is usually free. It's easier to get one of these guys in for a, for a, a, a midweek night, you know? And he poured into our servant leaders. They loved it. We did ministry. It was a great equipping time for our, our church, you know. So um, trying to mix it up. It puts a little bit more work on, on the staff, trying to make these things exciting and fun. But people's schedules are so cramped these days. So if you just invite them to a meeting and it's dull, you haven't really put any thought into it, you're just, you're just getting together, this is what we do, they're going to pick up on that. So I'm putting a little bit more effort in so that our servant leaders can feel appreciated and actually invested into you. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. frustrations I think I had as, as our church continued to grow, my, my heart was that everyone shows up for everything, you know, and there would be this frustration when they don't, and like, I wouldn't be like mad at you, but, but like, there's something, like, why didn't you come, you know, like, it was such a good event, I had to just let that go, like, the bigger your church gets, if I can get 70, 60, 70, 80% of our, our servant leaders there, that's a win. You know, if it starts falling below that, I've got to rethink. Am I envisioning people enough for this? Am I making it a meaningful enough event for them to give up another evening uh, to, to come to this? So there's a little bit of leadership work and, and envisioning that we need to continually do. Like I said, in South Africa, you just announce the dates and they come. Uh, here, we've got to work at making it a meaningful evening, meaningful experience. You know, is it wrong or right? It is what it is. This is... This is, it. this is it, you know? Everyone is overscheduled and overworked, so start figuring out how your culture works and make it happen. Did you already say how often you have one? We did every other month. Uh, we did every other month for servant leaders and every other month for life group leaders. Um, I, it's probably gonna drop maybe instead of six a year, it'll be five a year with our new schedule, and I'll put them in our break times. That's how I think it's gonna work. Yeah. You got 75% or 100%. I, I want to get there, Kelly. Uh, well, so do we. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I want to get to the check-in part. I, oh, okay. I haven't done the check-in part. Uh, you certainly can. You, right. you certainly can set it up to there. We haven't quite done it. I know, you know, when we, when we started really getting clear on our training and expectations, we had 80 people serving in our serving teams. 
in the last nine months, we've gone up to 180 people serving. And it's, it's helped. The clarity has been incredible. So now I know, okay, there's 180 people. Some of them are overlapped. So if we get 120 people to team nights, okay, I'm getting a, a feel of how we're doing. It's not like you're tracking. You certainly can. And it's not even hard. Right. Bigger churches do that. Uh, they actually do do that tracking. I think we'll get there eventually, but it's not not yet. Yeah. Um, do you have a process for last minute volunteer cancellations? Last minute volunteer adjustments? Yeah. Cancellations. Cancellations. Team leaders. Yeah. Well, just yeah. here's an actual conversation I had with Alyssa. Right? She can run kids ministry with six people. Right, but I every week I check in with her. I'm like, why were you on kids again? Well, someone canceled. Why were you on kids? Someone canceled. And it always fell on Alyssa, who's our our our, our kids ministry volunteer. I said, okay, here's what we're gonna do: start scheduling seven people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And so when she started scheduling seven people, and we found a role for it. You know, it's meaningful to you. you're the person greeting all the all the families when they come in and all that. It, it, you can actually do something, but if they don't show up, you just move people around. So that's one thing if you have enough volunteers. Uh, if you don't, that sucks. It, it's hard. I, I, there is no magic. No magic bullet. There is no magic bullet. Uh, you know, for some reason, people just don't think that they're, they're valued. Like their role is actually really important. So... We, we have then taken our team nights, because now we're in front of them every two months, to continue to reiterate. Kathy and I will do it. The leader will do it. When you don't show up, it makes a difference. Here's why. And you continue to reinforce it. Uh, one of our sales leaders at Huntington, uh, Lisa, she's crazy, but she's, she's quite smart. She said to me, David, if, you've, if you haven't said something to a salesperson six times... You haven't said it to them yet. You haven't actually communicated. I'm like, six times. She's like, hate it or not, but it is what it is. And, and I'm like, okay. And so um, it, it was a quote. I, I forget who, who it was, but, but it could be Craig Rochelle. He said, um, when you are something like this, if you have communicated and communicated and you're sick of communicating the same thing, you finally started communicating, you know? And I, my mind's there now. So we're, we're emailing, we're texting, we're putting it on Sundays, the things that are important. We're saying it in team nights. We're saying it over and over and over. And it finally starts sinking in. When you've said it once or twice, don't think you've communicated. You've got to say it six times. Then you've begun to communicate. So I don't know, no magic bullet, but little things that could help. You guys have been fantastic. I can literally talk about this all day long. So thank you for your attention.